Ladies and gentlemen, after three rounds of heavyweight action, we go to the judges' scorecards for a decision. Judge A. Bellardo scores the bout 29-28, Rashad. Judge Tony Weeks scores the bout 29-28, Imes. And Judge Nelson Hamilton scores the bout 29-28 for the winner who will be crowned the ultimate fighter and win the six-figure contract with the ultimate fighting championship, Rashad Evans! Oh yeah, you heard that right. Fifteen years ago, the great one, the UFC Hall of Famer Rashad Evans, First leaped on the MMA scene by winning the Ultimate Fighter. And this is the State of Combat podcast on CBS Sports with your boy, the Brian Campbell. Special edition. We got him right here. Former UFC champion, earthquake survivor, the one and only Sugar Rashad Evans. My man, my friend. I am so excited for this show to do a deep dive up and down the road. And remember, in painstaking detail, what was 2005 Season 2 of The Ultimate Fighter and your arrival on the scene in this sport, when you just hear those sounds from Bruce Buffer, you getting those feels again or what? Oh, yeah, man. I, I do, man. I, I just uh, instantly memories came back. It just actually goosebumps happened, man. And, and, uh, and, a, and a sickness in my stomach, too. <laughs> But uh, it it just goes with with just that whole excitement of that uh, that event and everything that it was. And we'll get into all the details, but that sound was from your tough finale bout with Brad Imes. This was November 5th, 2005, Hard Rock Hotel and Casino. Split decision. We didn't know which direction it was going until the end as you landed bombs, but that was a big M effort in your way. We're going to get into all of that at detail. Uh, Rashad, I was fired up by this project. Shout out to our super producer, Mikey Mormile, for sort of birthing the idea and, and along with myself going through uh, so much footage to put this together. But, uh, you know, I didn't watch tough. Like like some people were shot. I, I watched MMA during this time. I watched the finale against Brad Imes. But I didn't watch this show until maybe the Kimbo season. Maybe that, maybe that. So going back and seeing all this for the first time, man, it, it fired me up. I mean, you know, just one one thing, that Jardine fight was a freaking war. I never even knew that took place. So yeah. I'm fired up to go back and live this. Um, I got a million questions, but this was 2005. This show aired on Spike TV, August 22nd to November 5th. And Rashad, um... Where were you in your life when you send in this audition tape? How much had you seen of the first season of Tough? Give us a, a sort of put the pin in the history yeah. timeline and show us where you're at. Okay, so I just graduated from Michigan State, and um, I was working at a hospital. I was uh, doing security guard. I worked at nights, and part of my job was uh, putting bodies into the morgue and just doing all that kind of thing. So Whoa, whoa, how do I not know that? Whoa. Yeah, yeah. I, I used to I used to put bodies in the morgue and take them out and do all that kind of thing. And then when I got done from doing that at the hospital, uh, in the morning I will work out before I went to sleep, and then at nighttime before I went to work, I would go and get a training session in, and that was my routine. And I did that for for about a year or so. And um, 
you know, we're in Lansing, Michigan, the scene, the fighting scene wasn't big at all. So we would train in this small little, um, the small little warehouse and we rent, rented out a room. It was, it was like nine by 12, not big at all. Only six of us in there and we trained and, um, we watched the first season of Ultimate Fighter. And at the time, you know, we were, we were training at Lansing, Michigan, but we also hooked up with Dan Severn's team and started training in Coldwater, Michigan, which is about an hour away from Lansing, Michigan. So we'll make that drive every, uh, every couple of weeks. We'll make that drive and go train with them. And, uh, Dan just got inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame. So I was talking to Dan and Dan was like, Hey, you know, I just got inducted to the UFC Hall of Fame and I don't know. They're having this show, uh, ultimate something, <laughs> ultimate something or another. I don't know. Ultimate, other uh, ultimate fighter. He's like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're having a show, ultimate fighter and they're, they're looking for fighters to do it, but they're looking for heavyweights and, and you're like, you know, you're like a 185 pounder. <laughs> and at the time I weighed like 195. So I was like, No, 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 Dan, I, I can do it. I can do it. And I said, put my name and let them know that I'm interested. And then he said, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, just let them know I'm interested. So I guess he let them know that I was interested. And um, I I balked up. I ate. I was I was I was at 195 when I started. And working at the hospital, you know, there was a bunch of like starchy food. So I would uh, I was I was in good with the lunch lady. So she would hook me. <laughs> so the lunch lady would hook me up with all kinds of macaroni and cheese, oh, yeah. Meatloaf potatoes. Season. Yeah, all those kind of foods. And I would just eat it all night and to the point where I just hated food. You know, I would eat peanut butter. But I got I got pretty I got pretty big. I got myself up to about like 220 pretty pretty solid from 195 you know and it wasn't all flab it was kind of it was kind of some muscle in there too so um i sent in a video to get on the show and uh you know it was it was a video of me just training and uh you know an interview of myself well let's and start just, there you know, with that audition tape because we've got some footage and the first thing i just noticed when i look at it is <laughs> you know you're heavyweight rashad so you're you know, bloated's not the right word. You're in, you're in shape. You're an athlete, but it, it's just a larger, younger version. But we get the personality in it, which I loved. I, I feel like I can hold my own with the best. I'm gonna go ahead and say, it. I'm gonna go ahead and say, it. I feel like I can hold my own with the best. And I have to believe the producer. I mean, look, we ended up seeing this come out when you joined ESPN's MMA Live, when you started your TV career. Uh, you know, we saw it come out in some of your trash talking ahead of your biggest fights. But were you knowledgeable of that ahead of time where you're like, you know, this is also reality TV. I got to show these producers that they need me. Yeah, yeah, I, w- I was pretty knowledgeable, knowledgeable of that. I just wanted to, um, you know, I was always a, a personality and I just always wanted that to shine. But I wanted to be authentic. I, want, I never wanted to be one of those people who found themselves trying to act in front of the cameras. But at the same time, I knew they didn't want me on there just to be born, you know? And, um, you know, I, so, so I, I let my hands go a little bit when it came to just like being myself. I wasn't shy. I was just kind of like, you know what? People are going to think whatever they're going to think of me. And I just went out there and just acted like, my, you know, myself. Oh, you brought it. I mean, you gave us this. My style is impetuous and my defense is impregnable. And, you know, and, and, and there's not, there's not a heavyweight that can beat me. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out. That is not Mike Tyson. That is Rashad Evans. Right oh, there. my God. Well done on that, Jeez. by the way. Um, Timeline wise, because I'm not sure when this was filmed. When you sent in the audition tape, had tough season one already aired? Did you already see the Griffin Bonner fight? Did you know what you were, I guess, potentially getting into? Yeah, yeah. Uh, tough season one already aired. And, um, you know, the hype around that was was huge. 
And, you know, everybody was trying to be on that second season. And, um, you know, the second season was going to be heavyweights. And we didn't know. We, first of all, we didn't really know, uh, um, like, you know, how, how it was going to be structured because, you know, we heard they were going to change a lot of things that they did in season one. So, you know, it, it was kind of uncertain how the show was even going to be. But nonetheless, everybody was trying to get on the show just because it was forced and everyone did on that season one. So when's the moment? Is it a phone call? When do you know that, you know, this is step one of changing the rest of your life? So I get a, a phone call from this guy named Wayne Sampson, and he says, um, we watched your tape. Uh, we find you very interesting. We would like you to come to Las Vegas to meet with the UFC. And I couldn't believe it, man. I just I, I couldn't believe it at all because um, – I mean, I, I mean, at the time, you know, fighting for me was just something that I did uh, every week, uh, once, once in a while, and and it was something I did on the weekends. But it'd be like on some Indian reservation, and then finally to get a chance to fight in the UFC or you get a chance to even be interviewed or meet Dana White was just awesome. And plus the fact that I'd never really been, you know, on a plane really <laughs> up until then, so. To get on a plane and go to uh, Las Vegas was was amazing for me. And we actually have uh, footage of uh, Rashad receiving that phone call. Bitch, you know what I want? I want to talk to <laughs> Samson. And you got him, and you're on the show, and you're going to Las Vegas, and this is happening. Now, if people don't know, you had already said what you sort of alluded to. You had pro fights up to this point on a smaller yeah. level. When you were on your way to, to, the, to this show, are you thinking – yeah, I'm going to be UFC champion one day. Or is this still so early in the process that you're like, eh, if this doesn't work out, you know, maybe I'll go coach wrestling. I don't, you know, where are you at in your personal journey? Yeah, like for me, it was just, it was only fun. And and I never thought of fighting as a job. It was always something that I can do just for like a pastime. And it was something that I just, like I wanted to be a cop. That's, that's what I really wanted to be. And that's what I was kind of focusing and putting my energy towards. So for me, fighting was just something that, I was just doing to gain experience for whatever else I wanted to do in life. I wasn't taking it as in like, oh, this is make or break and this is a career because up until, you know, up until um, not too long ago, like, I mean, not, I say not too long ago, but not up until we got past the, the first few seasons of The Ultimate Fighter, I didn't really think that making money and fighting was something that you could do because there wasn't enough fights and there wasn't enough interest and there's still a lot of hurdles that the UFC had to cut through. So, it wasn't even on my mind that it can really be a viable career. It was just something that I could just do to release some steam. So I was just taking it with, you know, just going there and have some fun. So at this point in the landscape of reality TV, uh, MTV's The Real World had been around for more than a decade. Road Rules was hot. The sort of launch of the MTV challenges we've seen uh, around this time, you know, Laguna Beach, all these other sort of. So you knew what reality TV was coming in at this point. Uh, but there's always that question of how real is reality TV? Uh, what were your expectations coming in? And then, you know, how much of some of these moments in the house once you got in there were, I don't want to say staged, but maybe encouraged or produced. What was that dynamic like? Um, you know, it, it, I wouldn't say it was staged, but I would say that if we uh, came into the house and we were talking and the cameras weren't around, they would tell us to stop talking and wait till the cameras get there to uh, to, to capture it. You know, that was the weirdest thing about it. You know, just kind of like the, the stop action sometimes when when things were organically happening, you know, and, um, you know, it was, it was really weird, you know, because you'll be having a conversation 
And then next thing you know, you have like, you know, three cameras just jump in your face. And that took some time to get used to because at first, when it first started happening, you immediately started to stop talking like, oh, you know, but they want you just to keep on going. And um, it, it was just kind of so it, the crazy part about being in a house is the fact that it's really weird. And I think everyone's feeling this right now with this whole quarantine thing. Right. You have everything you want. But at the same time, the, the feeling of wanting to get out and just go and be autonomous and have your own, you know, liberty to do what you want to do. It kind of eats at you. And day after day, it gets more and more to the point where you feel trapped, you know, and that's what that was the most difficult part about that. But was what was a saving grace behind all of that is the fact that you were in there with, you know, 15 other guys who were going through the same process as you were. And tough brings together sort of elements of Big Brother, the real world, survivor almost, competitions, leads to fights, but you're also living in this house. What was the provisions? Was there unlimited healthy and snack food, booze? Uh, could you go on your cell phone and TV and radio? What were you allowed to do, not to do? What, what was there for you? Well, you weren't allowed to have any kind of uh, reading materials other than like a religious document, like a Bible or something like that. Um, you weren't allowed to have uh, any music at all. Um, even guys who um, they they did allow some guys to listen to music to get pumped up for the fights. But then at the end of that, they had to give it back. Um, so even even hearing the radio, we couldn't even hear the radio. Like we, we, we would beg the guys who drove us to the um who drove us to the studio to let us hear some radio. And matter of fact, there was one guy who uh, left in um, that, you know, the song uh, somewhere over the rainbow yes. by uh, Israel by Izzy. So one of the guys left that in there and uh, we listened to that over and over again, like every single day, looking out the window, each of us having like a tear in the eye, just thinking about life outside of the ultimate fighter house. <laughs> but it, that's what it does to you. And I used to watch shows like, you know, these reality shows and watch how people get so close with each other and they start to, you know, divulge all this personal information. I'm like, man, that's scripted. That's so fake. And why do they get so close with each other? But when you think about it, when you're in a situation, you realize that that's natural and that happens because when when you have a hard day in life, you, you have your family and your, your loved ones to uh, to be your coping mechanism, right, to help you out to deal with those tough times. But when they're not there, you have nobody else but the ultimate fighter, the fighters on the show. So you start confiding into them and you start leaning on to them for your support. Now you take that with the fact that you got to fight one of these That's guys. That's crazy, yes. And then now, you're, and now you're, you're confiding in them. They're knowing you on a personal level. They're knowing how your mind works. They're knowing what makes you afraid and what makes you happy. And then now you have to fight that person. You know, and that, that was the hard dynamic for me. I mean, that was certainly the unique quality that Tuff brought in, taking some of those elements of the other shows, but adding that. I mean, you know, we'll go on to talk about it, but you're cutting the hair of the guy you're going to fight the night before. I mean, there's friendships, and then it's like, hey, we're going to press pause and bang, so to speak. Um, I have to believe there's a boot camp quality because they're sequestering you away, but I think you can compare it to – uh you know, your freshman year dorm in college or any time you were in a special, unique place with a group of guys where it's like, man, we got through that together. Do you have that same yeah. camaraderie all these years later when you run into any of these fellas where it's like it's just a look at each other like we did that. We did that thing. You know, we, we the jokes yeah. are still real. I mean, do you feel that with most of these guys? 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like um, we just kind of pick up right where we left off at, you know, like we just like one day after being out of the house and we just kind of pick up and and we share that embrace and we, uh, you know, it, it's just kind of unsaid, you know, it's kind of something unsaid and you just kind of feel it because, you know, there were there were times during that whole process where each and every single one of us broke in some kind of way. And it was the the help of any one of the fighters in the house, you know, helping each other out. And that's how you got through it. You know, whether it be somebody you had to fight or was somebody that was in a smaller weight class, but you got through that show just by leaning on each other. And and that's the most unfortunate thing about the show is that only one person gets to win, but it's definitely a team effort, you know? <laughs> now, is it easy to stay on weight in that environment? I mean, it, no, it's not. And good thing I was a heavyweight because here's the thing about it. They give you all the food you want to eat. Like there's a list and you can put down any food you want to eat. <laughs> and like, you know, so it, I mean, you know, put steaks or whatever, all kinds of steak, filet mignon, everything you want to, you know, every, everything you want. Uh, who was one of the guys? Didn't even know what a filet mignon was. He thought it was filet mignon. <laughs> uh, I was like, uh, Melvin, Melvin said that, man. He said, I don't know what a filet mignon is. A filet mignon. What's a filet mignon? <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Melvin but he never had it. Yes. Yeah, he never had it, you know what I'm saying? Because, I mean, but that's what they would do. And um, anytime you wrote down alcohol, oh, they brought the alcohol fast. They Because they, oh, they, they realized that. that yes. Yeah, because cause, cause, uh, Chris Lieben, you know, he acted a fool, and, and now the ratings got so high because of what he did. So on our season, everyone was kind of afraid to get like Chris Lieben. So that was the thing. They was afraid to get like Chris Lieben, so no one really drank. You know, our, our thing That's was we kind of uh, – we just kind of like played silly games and stuff like that. But we, we had some drama. You know, no, we, no, we no, had you some did. drama. We'll we just came that. in a different it's, way. It's funny how you guys saw the Lieben model, said, That's not going to help me. But then – there was a whole new generation of like Junie Brownings who were like, I could become a star by acting a fool on this platform. So it's interesting. I mean, certainly MTV's The Real World saw that where originally it was about like showing different cultures together. And then it was like, how do I become famous for getting in fights and sleeping with people? So the reality dynamic is interesting there. Um, was there stress with the cameras? Did, were you able to be your real self? Did you were, were you thinking, well, I don't want to say this or look like this because then people will think I'm like this? At first, at first you were like that, but then after a while, it just got so hard to keep account of when the camera seen you that it just got to the point where it's just like, you know what? I can't like you, you, you can't, it's impossible to be a certain way because you don't know when the cameras are fil filming you. So at some point you just kind of like, you know what? It, it is what it is. And they're, and they're going to see what they're going to see. You know, um, the, the editing is everything. The editing is everything. True. And. And um, and editing can can make uh, a situation look a certain kind of way just because contextually speaking, they don't put it in the right context, you know, and, and, and that can kind of influence the way that people kind of perceive that event. So that can be one thing that um, that can be out of line. But for the most part, I felt like the editing and everything was was uh, was, was pretty on par and, it, and it, they, they didn't go too far, deviating too far out of the storyline. Right, we're going to get into it now. Season two of The Ultimate Fighter was welterweights. It was heavyweights. The hosts were Dana White and Randy Couture. Mike Rowe of Dirty Jobs was the narrator of the show. And the coaches chosen Matt Hughes of the blue team, Rich Franklin of the green team. Now, Rashad, we've gone on to know Tough as a show that sort of like previews an upcoming matchup. Was this not the case early on here with Hughes and Franklin? 
Yeah, um, uh, it was. Yeah, it was not the case. They were not supposed to fight. They were just kind of like uh, two big names and kind of just, you know, gonna gonna give um, gonna give it some some eyes. You know, they were. You know, Matt Hughes was hot at the time, and Rich Franklin was very hot at the time too. So that was it. All right, we'll get into your journey with Matt Hughes, which is very colorful in the show. <laughs> yeah. uh, but when you get chosen as Rich Franklin's team, he's your head coach. What did you know about him? What did that dynamic turn out to mean to you during the show? Oh, Rich Franklin was awesome. He he was the the ultimate teacher, to be honest, and and was one of the best coaches I had uh, at the time. Just because getting even on the show, like my my mixed martial arts background, you know, I learned from a guy who was pretty much my age, you know, and 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 he learned. Not saying he wasn't good, but you know he just didn't have like the the next level experience. You know what I'm saying? So we were kind of teaching each other. Well, he he taught me most of the stuff, but it just wasn't a wealth of knowledge. And then um, you know we learned some stuff with Dan Dan um, Dan Severin, but it wasn't the the knowledge that you know keep coming from. You know, so I was kind of at a, a technical disadvantage, and um, Rich Franklin knew that about me and he's you know he took a little extra time to work with me on just like simple techniques and stuff like that and i appreciated that because you know rich franklin was a teacher and he was such a great because he was a, a great teacher he was a great coach super super patient know you know how to make you feel like you just you know did the most amazing thing just Wasn't by doing the simplest teacher? thing you yeah, know? he was a school teacher in real yeah, life he was, before, he, he was yeah. actually a school teacher in real life you know and he kind of had that same same vibe so when he was coaching me on ultimate ultimate fighter show i just grew so much underneath him because he um he he was so so he fed me so much and it was so positive you know and for casting purposes he did have the exact opposite style of matt hughes so it worked out from a reality show standpoint uh team hughes looked like this at the start welterweights joe daddy stevenson Josh Berkman, who ended up replacing Jason Von Flew, Sammy Morgan, and Luke Kumo. Heavyweights Mike Whitehead, Dan Christensen, Rob McDonald, Tom Murphy. Three fighters ended up being unassigned. Kenny Stevens, Kerry Schall, and Eli Joslin. But I want to start off with your team here, Team Franklin. I'm going to read the names. Just sort of tell me one word or one sentence that you remember about them here. Jorge Gorgel. George Gorgel. Uh, that was, that was Rich Franklin's boy. Him and, him and, um, Rich were really good friends. Jiu-Jitsu is amazing. Uh, just fun guy. Marcus Davis. Isn't that the Irish car bomb? Yeah, the Irish. He was amazing. He was awesome too. Great hands, man. Uh, Marcus knew so much old school boxing, knew so much about just about striking and everything. I would pick his hands about, oh yeah, th- turn your punch over like this and you'll knock him out. All that. Hey, you know, you tell me all kinds of tips. The only man with no Wikipedia page, Anthony Torres. You ever see that guy again? Uh, yeah, I had never seen him again, but Anthony Torres is cool. He was actually one of my coolest guys on the show because, um, you know, just really easy to talk to, a Hawaiian guy. You know, he had that aloha spirit. The man who kind of became personality-wise, while you and Keith Jardine really became the fighting stars long-term of this show, personality-wise, Melvin Gillard kind of won it early. Uh, yeah. You guys kind of had a little uh, little thunder in the beginning. Here's a little sample. I'll be in your corner, man. I'll be going for you. But, man, if you get laid down quick, me get laid down quick, hey, by who? Hey. <laughs> by who? <laughs> Dog, do you know who the f*** I am? I'll fight. <laughs> That's Melvin Gillard being like, Rashad, you know who the F I am? It did continue and it went here when Rashad put his foot down. I'll fight Mike Tyson. 
I've had 28 knockouts on my record. No, but I'm in the gym. Don't, don't, I don't hear you say I nothing. I swear. Out of all the guys here, nobody has a record. I'm sorry. Nobody has a record here. Forget your record, man. Forget who you beat. Forget who they beat. Don't worry about your record, man. You probably as good as so it's basically Melvin being like, man, do you know who I am? I'll, I'll fight Mike Tyson. And you're like, nobody has a record until you get into this house. That's what I was telling Melvin. He wasn't trying to hear me. But, you know, Melvin was one of those guys who he roomed with me. You know what I'm saying? So uh, he was he him and I will go back and forth like that all night. All night we'll go back and forth like that. We had the silverback and the heavyweight side on your team, Seth Petrozelli. Uh, weird dude would would go on to wear pink hair, knock out Kimbo Slice with a jab. Him and you ate flies, which we can get into later. But uh, <laughs> you still talk to that fella? Yeah, I talk to him whenever I see him. He has a really good gym out in Orlando, and uh, he has some really good fighters. Um, Seth was always one of those guys to me that that could have been so much better than than what we know him as. You know, he has so many skills, and it's just that. You know, he just it just didn't click for him at the right time. But skill wise, I think he was probably the best on the show. And two guys we'll get into a lot more were also your teammates, Keith Jardine and Brad Imes, who you end up fighting in this tournament. You had an incredibly hard bracket to get to the final and win it. You certainly earned it through a lot of doubt along the way. Uh, quickly, as we sort of look at like the first episode is, is this introduction of who these people are. Show them getting along, not getting along. Um, It can't be easy where everyone's an alpha male for the for the most part, thrown into these barracks and bunks, and we find out who rubs the other ones wrong. We just showed that that sound with you and Melvin Gillard. Luke Kumo jumps out to me, Rashad, as maybe the uh, the the most peculiar cat in this show. Takes his mattress off the bed, puts it on the floor because to maintain his chi, he wants to keep his head facing north. Uh, was that a topic of conversation during the show? No, but you know that that is uh that is an interesting um uh, thing that that he he would say though he was very um very into the whole chi and into the whole martial art way you know and you know I, I would talk to him and he was very um very very deep very deep and and now I think that I have a deeper understanding about things that he was talking about. Now I, I think we'll have a different conversation, but at the time, oh yeah, he was super weird. <laughs> when you're in that honeymoon period, episode one, show kicking off, cameras are there, everyone's trying to look their best, probably put doing extra curls in the uh, yeah. behind the scenes ready to get in there. Uh, did anyone rub you the wrong way early on? Was there any real tension off the start there? Yeah, uh, right off the start, Mike Whitehead rubbed me the wrong way. You know, he was he was kind of like that. That the stereotypical bully type of mentality, you know, the kind of guy who wants his, to raise his leg over everybody, you know what I'm saying, and kind of, you know, poke fun at the weaker link. I, that's what I kind of felt, you know. I kind of felt like he was, uh, I don't know, he 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 was he he was kind of bullyish to me, you know, and um, you know, pro probably you know it, it was most likely because he had to be, but uh, that's what I didn't like. Come on, Rashad, my legs are cramping, my back is cramping. And on top of that, my mind is just wearing down, you know. There starts to become this this uh, narrative early on that Rashad is physically talented, but maybe he doesn't have the heart of a champion, Rashad. This starts yeah. to come out early on in the challenges. Um did did you were you starting to question yourself because you were great in the fights you went undefeated you you improved with each fight but challenges wise you weren't a superstar off the start 
No, I was terrible at the challenges. Um, the challenges were something that was so hard for me because I just, I just really can never get a handle on how to do some of the weird things that they want us to do in the challenge. You know, it was just kind of something that just never made sense to me. Um, and I would get anxiety thinking about the challenges because I'm like, I don't want to mess this up. I don't want to mess this up. And you know what happens when you think that in your mind? I don't want to mess this up. I don't want to mess this up. You end up messing it up. <laughs> so that's what always happened to me. I would always end up messing up. And the worst challenge for me was the one, the swimming one. Yes. Where uh, we had to tread water and I had to hold the hold it with one hand. And tread, <laughs> yo, yo, that was it was it was a nightmare for me because I'm thinking like, yo, I already don't want to look bad swimming because I'm black, right? And I'm like, yo, we don't want to look bad swimming. But I'm like, you know what? I can swim pretty good. You know, put me in the pool. I can swim one end to the other. But all the extra stuff, like the the, the the treading water for minutes, holding with one arm, I can't do all that. And I knew I couldn't do all that. So when they said the water, the challenge was water and, and swimming with one hand, the anxiety level went to a thousand. It went to a thousand. So I get into the pool and we're doing the tread, the treading water and I'm feeling great. I'm like feeling good. I feel like I can do it for a little bit, but then something happens. A little bit of water goes in my nose and then it goes down. My windpipe the wrong way. And then I started choking and all of a sudden I started panicking and it was over. It was over. <laughs> that became a thing in episode three when you had that water challenge. And it's part of this overall narrative. We're looking the beginning, like the, the show sort seemed to have their favorites. Dana said on camera multiple yeah. times he thought Mike Whitehead or Keith Jardine would end up coming out on top. And what we don't know, because everybody seems to talk tough, is who's going to end up having that backbone and be a legitimate fighter down the road or who is going to crumble when things get hard. And I have to imagine you guys all believe you have it, but don't really know. So early on, people thinking Rashad's not there. Here's Dana very early. Eli and Rashad are the two weakest right now, I think. The other fellow he mentioned was Eli Joslin, and this guy oh quits gosh. at the end of episode one. Uh, what did it feel like, Rashad? This was the first guy to go down on his own accord. Melvin Gillard famously gave it to him on the way out, being like, bro, like this is your chance. You're going to regret this. But he had had enough. He ends up never fighting again after this, Rashad. What's that like for the psyche of each fighter early on? It's tough because I think at, at – some point, I think once we got there initially and once the honeymoon phase is over and once we got our teeth kicked in uh, and the reality of what we were doing set in, I think a lot of us were feeling like Eli. And I think a lot of us wanted to to, to quit as well. But I think it was um, what we were giving up that kept us motivated to keep on going through. And I think Melvin, what he was trying to give it to him, what he was trying to spark that feeling in him that he had it himself when he was pondering if he should stay or he should go home, you know, and I think that's what um, a lot of fighters were feeling that feeling, you know, a lot of fighters feeling it because it's such an unnatural thing. Melvin went on to play a, a memorable early joke on Dana going into the office. So Dana's pissed off like everybody else. Yeah. Dana, Dana, we know he's all alpha Dana. He can't believe somebody would quit with this opportunity. Melvin sits down and like, Dana, I don't really feel like I could do it anymore. And Dana goes off. It's a joke. It's a funny moment. But then we lose a second heavyweight, this time to knee injury. And Rashad, they bring in a replacement, Dan Christensen. And the two of you meet, and we get this nice little soundbite from Rashad. I'm like, holy hell, another skyscraper. I got my work cut up for me. That's what I'm thinking. But that's how I like it. I don't mind. 
Are you starting to be like, man, maybe going to heavyweight wasn't the right, the right idea here? We haven't fought yet, but you're just seeing the the cattle around you. Yeah, it it was it was. I was starting to really feel like that, and um, I was really starting to feel like that in the beginning because the first day we have that the uh, get there, we have an evaluation day, and evaluation day is two hours of training, of circuit training, going from one circuit to the next circuit to the next circuit. But these circuits that you're doing, you're doing jump rope for 30 minutes. You're doing run on a treadmill, sprinting for 30 minutes. You're wrestling with another uh, – with, with, I was wrestling with Mike Whitehead for 30 minutes. And then after Mike Whitehead, I wrestled with another guy for 30 minutes. So I had to keep on switching. And off of that, they were evaluating our skills. So after doing that with all these bigger guys and getting thrashed around quite easily – I realized that, yeah, technically speaking and physically speaking, I'm I'm in the lower end of the pool here. Well, I again, I love about this show is that you end up winning it. You end up having the greatest success of anyone here. You're a champion. You're a Hall of Famer. Yet you're the guy, again, that gets criticized so much early on. So we're watching your growth and we're getting all these confessional interviews and these sound bites here as we're sort of watching you overcome each step. I hate to lose anything. And to lose something on my own account, my fault. Ah, it just That's Rashad after the water challenge. And suddenly, as we start to pick fights, people are picking uh, their first matchups here. And everyone's starting to think Rashad might be the one. And a uh, little of this soundbite here that came out from when Sammy, Her- Sammy Morgan gets called out for a fight. I was like, damn, Sam is about to catch a bad ass with <laughs> You remember that moment, Rashad? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. All right. So everyone yeah, thinks uh, it's happening here, Rashad. You might be the guy. And then we get to episode five, and it's going to be your first fight. And the build up to yeah. that is one more challenge. And the challenge is to get in the octagon, get on your knees. You can't stand, and you must get the sock off of your opponent. Oh and some guys are tickling, and your team. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, um, Team Hughes is much better at pulling the clothes off of other men. I know that that's a lot of what they train them at Militich is pulling clothing off of other men, so. Uh, what's this yeah. challenge like, Rashad? This is a little weird here. This, this, this is a weird challenge, and, and this is like one of the things that made it hard to excel at challenges. I mean, I, I, how do you mentally prepare to pull a sock off another man? Like, like, what, like, what is that? You know what I'm saying? And, I don't know. I, I think they would make these weird challenges to kind of weird us out. And I guess the, the person who can stomach the weirdness the most would win the challenge. But it, it was it was some weirdness going Did on. Did anyone tickle you? Did you use tickling as part of this, Rashad? No, I didn't. I was I was I was kinda weirded out by the whole thing just because <laughs> I was kinda I was kinda aware of, of, of the hindsight that might be on this whole situation. Yes. I'm like, this is gonna look bad. I mean there this are I'm not gonna lie here. There are a couple questionable moments in this show. I don't want to use words like homoerotic, but like you guys are coming out in your underwear at some times. There's a lot of weird challenges. The mud, the mud, rest, the mud wrestling one. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on here. Um, <laughs> who designed these challenges? Yes, who is this producer? <laughs> All right, you lose the sock challenge. It's it's Team Hughes' choice for the fight, and Tom Murphy wants Rashad. Me and Tom will be fighting. And I'm excited. Tomorrow, 4 o'clock of the weigh-ins. Good luck tomorrow, guys. I had Tom fight Rashad. Um, Rashad had a cut over his eye. He has has really not shown me much of a heart. He's a lighter heavyweight, so uh, that's that's 
That's our matchup. Matt really believes that he can take Rashad out, and I agree with Matt. Let's go, man. Let's go. Coach Hughes actually picked Rashad for me. If I had to pick someone, I would have picked Rashad. Is that that's like, that's I don't know if you picked it up there, Rashad, but we're starting to see that I don't think it's Rashad versus Todd Murphy. We're seeing the beginning of the Rashad versus Matt Hughes. Matt Hughes, Hughes. yes, yes. What's Matt going Hughes on here? Not stand me. Matt just does not like me at all. He didn't like me from the moment he laid eyes on me. And it's weird because I actually went up to uh, Militich's camp a couple times and worked out with those guys when I was doing my um, Michigan circuits, you know, and uh, it, it was weird. He was actually one of my favorite fighters, so I was, I was really bummed that, that I was feeling that he didn't like me. And uh, it was kind of heartbreaking at the same time, you know, but I was like, you know what? He's a man just like I'm a man. Yeah, whatever. They, they gave the microphone to Rashad and asked him about his doubters. Wrestling in college, uh, I had a pretty successful wrestling career, but I was a little inconsistent. Sometimes I didn't feel like I left it on the mat, and it kind of left me feeling unfulfilled. Don't pause me. I don't think I'm at a disadvantage being a smaller heavyweight, but I do definitely feel I got to bring my A game. And stop right there. They put a lot of time in, Rashad, to the build to this fight with you and Tom Murphy because there were some weird things going on. It's Matt Hughes constantly calling you out. Dana's not yeah. really sure about you. You're recovering from a cut. And you and Tom Murphy are friends. Did you? It looked like you were kind of almost bunkmates there, and it leads to the haircut you give him the night before the fight. Again, how hard is this, man, to put it aside when this is your moment here? It's hard because, you know, what the camera didn't show was, was before that, Tom Murphy, he comes to me and he's like, man, listen, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to be here anymore. I'm not, you know, he, he was kind of like not feeling being there. He, he, you know, he didn't want to be, he was having a hard time being away from his girls and stuff like that, being, being away from his family. And he just didn't have the heart to just, to want to be there anymore. So he's like, I want to fight. I want to, I want to be done with this. And then he said, he asked me if I would fight him. He said, if I'm going to fight, I'm going to lose. I want to lose to you. And I was like, all right. Interesting. So then, now, he did yes. give a lot of confessionals about how, unlike these other guys, I got to go back to work. I can't be getting hurt. I got a family to feed. So those dynamics are real at this point. Are you, Where yeah. are you in counter to that in your personal journey? Was this make or break financially for this show to work out for you? No, it wasn't make or break financially for me. I mean, for me, it was just kind of, like I was, I was broken already. You know, I was working at a job at a, uh, a security guard. So for me, I was comfortable with making only a thousand dollars, and that was great. If I had five hundred dollars at every single pay, pay period, you know, that means I had some extra money to spend. So for me, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really uh, stressing too much. Um, I did have a daughter in Mon- in um, Canada, and I would send her money and stuff like that and get her for summertime. But it wasn't the same family type situation that Tom had. So for me. I was uh, still fairly young, and I didn't have those pressures. Well, we're starting to see uh, Rashad get fired up, get confident ahead of his fight. Rashad should never blame himself. Don't do it, Rashad. Doesn't help at all, buddy. You know what? I messed up this competition. I hope it's me. I really do, because I'm ready to fight. I didn't come here to do no challenges. I came here to fight. Put me in a ring. Fight me! There it is. There it is. It's uh, time to end these stupid challenges. It's time to mix it up. Rashad Evans is 25 years old at this point, 5'11", 227, an undersized heavyweight against Tom Murphy, 30 years old, 6'1", 228. 
Here's Rashad's scouting report at the time. I just got Let's go. Let's go. I feel I match up pretty well against Tom. I don't think he has really good stand up. We kind of cancel each other out on the ground. And I can't think I'm going to have an easy win because he's injured. Push his head away, Rashad. Push it away from him. I have to approach this fight like any other fight. I'm just going to try to whoop ass. Whoop some ass. Uh, Tom's got plenty of respect for you, as we noted. For me, it's going to be kind of an honor to fight Rashad because I have a lot of respect for him. He's putting some kind of design in my freaking head. I'm making a shot. <laughs> Tom told me he wants to fight me because he respects me. And he says, you know what, this may be my last fight. And when there's a draw, I'd rather say I fought somebody that I had a great respect for. Any chance you're doing a psychological trick with the haircut ahead of time, I'll get this guy on my good side (laughs) so he doesn't bring the heat. Because, you know, spoiler alert, he didn't really pull the trigger a lot in this fight. Nah, you know, it. he uh, he asked me to cut his hair and he was just, you know, him and I was just always that close. Like when it came time to like to sit down, we'll, what we're doing for the rest of the evening, him and I would just always find some place. And we always talk about the pool, or just talk about life. And he would tell me all about, you know, his life back home and everything. So we had that close relationship like him and I were like friends, friends, you know. And while he was in this, I don't know if I can continue. This might be my last time. Rashad is ready. For me, this experience is do or die because if I feel if I can't make it off of this situation, train with the best, then I, I, I really shouldn't be fighting anymore. Tom will not send me packing because I'm here to lay it down and that's what I came to do and that's what I'm going to do. Is that, now when you look back 15 years later, Rashad, you're hearing that voice of that 25-year-old wow. Rashad Evans, right? Uh, is all that real or is he talking himself into it? It's it's real. Like like he believes it. He really believes it. Like I I wasn't just saying like I'm listening to myself say that now. I'm just like wow. Like I just didn't. That's that's pretty that's pretty crazy. Like but that that was the belief that I had in myself. Like I just believed that. I I would say this. I was always thinking to myself that you know what if I'm going to lose, then I'm going to lose. But the person they're going to feel me. They're going to know they're going they were in a fight. So for me, I could never lose a fight because no matter what. I was going to at least scratch him. <laughs> I was going to at least make him know that they were in a fight, you know? Well, we get into this fight. Heavy pressure. Your first – it's not an official UFC fight, but your first fight uh, with the company in this Tom Murphy battle, which first round, you utilize the clinch. There's dirty boxing. You got some big knees. You're throwing shots. There's a head kick. Tom Murphy not doing much. Were you pleased with your effort after round one? Um, I, I was, I was pretty pleased with it, but I, I felt like I could have been more offensive with my hands and kind of just put a little bit more combinations. It was really weird there to fight Tom and really try to land a shot to, to hurt him just because for the longest time he has been my friend and he even was showing me techniques on some of the things I was doing him. He showed me how to do those things, you know, so <laughs> it's weird to kind of do the, the techniques on the guy who actually showed you how to do it. Like there's times where he'll like, okay, take him to the side at home, be like, okay, do this and do that. Here, show me technique. And now I had to go ahead and do it on him. Well, Weird. the lack of, uh, let's say, action did not make one Dana <laughs> White all that happy, Rashad. The only way that I can sum up round one is horrifying. The first minute of the, of the fight, they don't even touch each other. Not a punch, nothing landed. Rashad <laughs> fought completely lazy and would only uh, throw if Tom threw at him. Round two is definitely got to be better. I think that either Rashad or Tom need to come out and, and take this fight. 
Now, Dana's reality TV gold. We already knew that coming in. But uh, yeah. was there any uh, – did he like you early on? I mean, we're, we're hearing him consistently kind of be like, I don't know about this Rashad guy. Where um, were you at with the boss at this point? Uh, we, he, we were all right at this time, honestly. Like, like there was a couple of times, even like, um, like off camera, like he'll joke around with me. Like there's, there's a time where I was jump roping, doing the jump rope and he was like, uh, pretending he was the DJ and he was like, uh, uh, on, uh, 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 and sing like a Dougie Fresh song. And I was like, I was surprised because I didn't expect him to even know Dougie Fresh, but he was actually rapping the lyrics to help me motivate me to jump rope. So he wasn't, he wasn't, uh, as bad to me as it seemed, uh, you know, off camera, but he definitely did not think I, I mean, cause, cause here, cause even to get on the show, he said, he said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have you on my show and I'm gonna have a boring episode because you get taken down and you can't get up and you too, cause you're too small to be on my show. Interesting. So, Interesting. yeah, so, so I was thinking, um, I gotta at least fight hard or he's gonna be, he's gonna be mad at me and, and, yeah, he was. Well, round two, you take Tom Murphy down. You slip out of a guillotine. The action becomes a little boring. You're slipping in some knees. Round three, we get back to dirty boxing. It looks like any time this early version of Rashad, when you have any troubles with something we see later in the Jardine fight, the clinch seems to be your safety point. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah. Yeah, it was a fair assessment because I knew I was a better wrestler than these guys and they were the bigger guys, but I could feel like I can, I can, uh, I can, wear them down more in the clinch than anywhere else you know all right here's that's where i was able to, to take a take a take some of the side advantage away with the clinch if you're wondering if rounds two or three change dana's opinion here's the boss tom hasn't done anything this entire fight then finally the end of the third round Tom lands the big elbows that his corner has been screaming for him to throw the whole fight, and he hurts Rashad. And Tom just stands there staring at him instead of following up with punches when he had Rashad hurt. Then the bell rings in the absolute shittiest fight I've ever seen in my whole life. <laughs> Rashad, I don't think you were hurt, though. They showed the replay while no, Dana's saying that, hurt. and you're dancing. You're not hurt. No, they wanted me out of that show so bad they couldn't stand that out. First of all, like if you look at Tom compared to me, his body looked a lot better. He just looked a lot better than I did, you know. And and they were so mad because he could he didn't he didn't fight well, and 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 I just made him not look good at all. I mean, I wasn't looking like a world beater anyways, but I made him look worse than I did, and they were just they were flabbergasted. How we go to the scorecards here, and what was uh, disappointing performance for tom rashad had his moments despite pissing off the boss three rounds unanimous decision rashad evans good job every fight that you see isn't going to be the most exciting fight you've ever saw in your life but it's not about that it's about how bad do you want it how bad do you really want it i'm hoping from here on out rashad is going to start to shine more like he really wants to be here like he really wants to win this thing Rashad, you would go on to say after that, quote, it's a big step in the right direction toward my dream of being a UFC world champion. So this is this is in your mind at that moment. It's in my mind. Yeah, it is. All right. It well, is. you get the win. Uh, were you prepared for the S storm that would come after this fight that the reality producers played up to the gills in the transition from episode five to six 
about what you did at times in that fight. The no, I was... the histrionics, the trash talk, the I... showboating, the dancing. When you exited that cage, did you think that would be a thing? No, I didn't think it would be a thing at all. I thought actually they were like, wow, Rashad, good job. No, way to, way to, way to come through. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we get into Matt Hughes' side of the story, was that a calculated move in that fight at any point? Why were you doing that? Were you doing that to entertain? Were you doing that because that's who you are as a fighter? Were you trying to get in Tom's head? What was the planning there? Well, as, as you as you know, it wasn't it wasn't really nothing happening, and I needed to get some kind of reaction to kind of get Tom to come out of his shell because I'm a Counter Striker, and I couldn't get him to come out of his shell, so I wanted to make him upset to kind of see if he can come out. And then when I started showboating. I start, I stop to forget about, you know, I don't, I don't think about how tired I am. I don't think about how much time's on the clock. It just becomes about fun. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to have some fun. And we start episode six with Matt Hughes looking into the camera and saying, you know, Rashad didn't do nothing to try to finish that fight. And then we have a tense handshake in the office as you go up after the fight to pay respects to the opposing coach, Matt Hughes, and we get this. Rashad standing up. He was kind of shaking his head in front of Tom. He was, he was, he was be, being an idiot. Rashad is representing himself, his team, the whole sport. He's out there looking like an idiot. Showboat me. Uh, sorry, that was not, that was before the handshake. Um, when you went back in, uh, did you know he had said these comments? Now, I know you two had an interaction that we're going to play in a second, but yeah, did, did you know that this was that this was gearing up to be something when you walked into that office? I had no idea. I had no idea. Actually, I was kind of like uh, I was kind of excited to see Matt, you know, after the whole thing. You know, I was excited to shake his hand and, you know, pay the respects to him. And uh, I was I was um, surprised. I mean, idiot's a strong word considering you won that fight and pretty much handled it. Yeah, I know, and, and that's and that's the thing is like, I I mean, it, it it was weird just how he reacted to the whole thing, but I think it was just because he didn't like me in general. All right, well, Rashad counters that moment. Rashad, to be honest, I'm going to tell my guys never to act like that in the, in the octagon. Must use you as an example of what not to do. Fight. Fight as what? Show them. I hate it. I'm glad you're not on my team. I just, I'd like to have fun. And I mean, if that's not I'm your not way of winning, you're dominating that fight. I know, but it's just how I like to have fun. You're not on my team. That's what he wants. That's fine. I mean, I made the right pick when I was picking guys in. Well, that's fine. That's fine too. You know, I know, I know it's fine. Huh? Hey, folks. Um, I made oh, the right pick. Heart, my heart was broke then, man. My heart was broke. I, I'll tell you what, almost. I felt like, you know, you get like that mad cry. You like, you want to just like, you get mad, like that mad cry. They can't ask you what happened or you might start crying at the same time you get mad. That's how I was feeling, man. Cause I was just like, how dare he say that to me? I you mean, know? that's mountaintop to the basement. You, you, you leave the octagon, you win. And then Matt Hughes straight up says, I pick the right guy, the guy that you just beat. Yeah. I pick the right guy. Um, so look, we know Matt Hughes. All right. We know who he yeah. is. He's a gritty dude. All right. He's a Hall yeah. of Famer. He's a survivor. Uh, yeah, there's there's some things in his past that that have been brought to light at times, but um, there's some like General Custer shit. He's just like standing firm, like there's one way to do it, and you ain't it, Rashad. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, that that's got to be tough in that moment, Rashad. It was tough because for me, um, 
martial mixed martial arts and, and it was just an expression of myself and I love to have that expression and go out there and have fun with it and um that's what it's all about to me. If I can't go out there and dance and have fun and do what I like to do, then there's no point in me even fighting in the first place. You know what I'm saying? So when he came at me like that, I was, I was kind of upset because, you know, if you if you watch him fight, you know, he picks people up and takes them to the other side of the cage or whatever. the case, You know, he, he does things that people can consider to be showboating or whatever or, or people can consider it any kind of way. So I was kind of taken back and kind of hurt by it to be well, honest this this was a a break in the respect between the two of you yeah. i was really upset about it because i um matt hughes is somebody i did you know i do have respect for or did have respect for in a lot of ways what does he think picking somebody up and and, and driving him over to the other he can just play him right there exactly can go for a blow sometimes hey the only problem i have with you show up like that is if you end up losing that fight i'm gonna kill you <laughs> That's, uh, that's Seth Petrozelli and then Rich Franklin on the end of it. Rich so Franklin. Rich had your back because you won. But I also like how at each turn, Rich is there like good cop, bad cop. Like he's never like, OK, yeah. Matt Hughes is out of line, but he's like, I still got your back. You know, hang in there. Yeah. And, and Rich was always good about that. Rich was one of the guys who who I would lean on and talk to about um, when I was, you know, feeling the way I was feeling, feeling a little bit scared, feeling a little bit nervous or whatnot. And. And Rich was always really good to give me some good advice and always was good to get my mind on what I was there for and never allowed me to get 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 to the point where what I was experiencing right now trumped what I really wanted and what my goal was. Uh, what was the reaction at home by the time this aired? And look, this this arc and this storyline between you and Matt has some yeah. more twists and turns. But when these episodes started to air, what's Mrs. Rashad Evans? What's her what's mom's response? Oh my gosh, they were so mad. They were so mad. Like they didn't they didn't like Matt at all. They didn't like Matt at all. But um you know, they was happy I won and my mom was like, Rashad, I'm glad you didn't get knocked out now. Shoot. I mean, I I I I, I didn't want you to get beat now, Rashad. She, so she, she was excited about that, but they did not like Matt Hughes. All right, this turns out to be a you know, a big sort of storyline in this show in terms of the things they played up. You get back to the house. We got video of Brad Imes echoing Matt Hughes, disrespectful. He's upset at you. He hopes to get a chance to see you in the house and let you know. Uh, was there fallout in the house? ahead? Of, we're going we're gonna to throw to this George Jurgel conversation in a moment, but did anybody come up to you or ex- express to you that they didn't like that? Um. No, no one, no one really said anything about it. like no one came to me like Arbashai, oh, you know. No one said anything to me like Matt Hughes said anything to me. Uh, I think for the most part they were just kind of like you know that's that's your own style, but they didn't really, they didn't really say anything to be honest. All right, now we're at the kitchen table, and it's sort of you had enough time to stew about this, and then the dog, the dog's coming out of a shot here. Here's George Jurgel kind of firing you up. But you want to fight and you're here, man. Yeah. Why are you upset right now, bro? I don't know. It's weird. Cause I feel like punching Matt in his face. No. I feel like punching Matt in his face. That's why. Why don't you do it then? But he messed up. And don't expect an apology. I should have punched him in his face. Matt Hughes. Uh, thinking about you reminds me of what Uncle Byron used to say. <laughs> say, son, just be yourself. If people don't like if you're being yourself, them. Against the wall with handcuffs on and clay's glue on lips. Them. <laughs> 
<laughs> Uncle Bernie. <laughs> Uncle Bernie in the house. Uh, Rashad, I oh, love that nice. moment. So there's, there is some legitimately real moments, and you have that same moment anyone has after any confrontation where they're like, man, I should, I should have knocked that guy out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's always, it's always after the situation you think about what you could have said and what you could have done better. But, uh, yeah, man, he, he, that, that, like you said, it, it took me down to the basement. You know, I was on the top of the world winning my first fight in the UFC, and then he just took it down. He, he put a hole in my balloon. Well, now it's suddenly this new narrative of not even Hughes versus Franklin, kind of just Team Hughes versus Rashad. And uh, was there um, language in the contract, by the way, if anyone's listening, going, why didn't he punch Matt Hughes? Uh, was there language in the contract that you would have been thrown out and arrested? What was that that like in terms of if there were any altercations? Yeah, they, they, uh, you would be in trouble if you did have an altercation on the show, and it would be determined by Dana White with the, with the penalty be if you're allowed to be continue on the show or not. They did have a lot of uh, strict rules when it came to, you know, fighting somebody inside the house, getting physical. All right. Well, we go to episode seven, and it's time for another one of these weird challenges, and it's mud wrestling oh, in the middle God. of an arena. The rules are that you can't stand. Um, <laughs> the result is what Rashad Evans called sweet revenge against Team Hughes. There's a little bit of sweet revenge pushing uh, Whitehead out, more so just finally beat Matt again and watching him in disappointment and anguish. Um, how weird was this challenge, Rashad? Uh, it was super weird. Imagine imagine having to push out Mike Whitehead and he's all slippery and we're sliming up, sliding all over each other and, and, and we're like, it was hard. It was super, like, first of all, it was super hard. And, but it, I mean, it was just a very weird challenge. It's a very weird challenge. Like you feel like your, your pants about to come off because you're sliding all over each other. You know, it's, it's crazy, but it's a hard challenge. It was really hard. Matt Hughes takes the L on camera. He's not happy. It almost feels like now that the producers are playing into the fact that Hughes is this, you know, wild west gunslinger personality. He starts being a dick. He's calling out Rich Franklin saying, I think I'm a better coach than him. Uh, I never would have picked the fighters he did. Um, that seems to get interesting, although they're not in the same weight class. They're not set up for a fight. But we move on to episode nine and the team tug of war challenge in which this time uh, Team Hughes gets the payback. I don't know if you remember this, Rashad. You're in a circle. It's two on two. You and your teammate are attached to the same apparatus and you guys lose a tug of war to a team which includes former six foot eight offensive lineman Brad Imes. Coach Rich tries to comfort you and says, quote, that's what happens when you're outweighed by 160 pounds. It didn't look like you guys had a chance in that one. Nah, it didn't. It wasn't even fair at all, man. Those guys, I mean, it, it, we, we didn't we didn't like that at all. And that, and that goes to show, you know, but Rich always had the right things to say. You know what I'm saying? And uh, that helped us to be like, you know what it is, what it is. But, you know, it's kind of like. All right, this is kind of rigged, you know. <laughs> well, uh, the Coach Hughes wins, win allows them to get the first pick, and we are right back into the narrative of, well, Rashad's pretty good, but I don't think he has the heart, and he he might be tired from this fight, and what about that eye injury? So suddenly Mike Whitehead, who was the number one pick overall on this show, is being positioned as maybe the guy. He's boys with Matt Hughes. Whitehead picks Rashad. You're on camera saying, they picked you to be the first guy to get his second fight because you didn't go for the finish last time. 
You're also mm-hmm. mentioning, hey, maybe ring rust was a problem heading into that first fight. You're fired up to prove yourself. You say, quote, I feel like I have to prove myself again. I feel disrespected. Uh, do you remember those those feels heading into the Whitehead bout? Yeah, I did. I did uh, remember those feelings because I just felt as if, like, um, you know, no matter what I did, I was always, you know, getting some kind of criticism no matter what. And at the point, I felt that I did more than everybody else on the show. And the only thing that Whitehead did was just do good in challenges, you know. And, um, you know, he, he was such he was such a little kiss ass, too. And I used to say, I can't stand it, you know. So um, I, I was like, I felt like they were all against me. And, and then I had a um, – my wrist was sprained, too, going into that fight. I had like a sprained wrist that was bothering me. So I really was feeling like – you know, they were really up against me, trying to trying to take me out. Here's Dana's thoughts on this fight heading in. This is your second fight in this show. I'm 51 pounds. I think the team Hughes went after Rashad because they question what Rashad has. They think that Mike has better stand-up, which I think he does too. And they think he's a better wrestler. Again, in the fight with Tom Murphy, I, I question Rashad and how much he has here and what he wants to do. But I think they're going to be surprised at Rashad's wrestling. Anything can happen when two guys get in there and start throwing. We're going to find out which guy wants it in this fight. Good luck, small boys. Good job. I hear a hint of Dana starting to come around on you, Rashad, right I there. I think so, right? too. I, I didn't really hear that before. I never heard the fact that he said they underestimated Rashad's wrestling. I never heard that, that before. Be That's a big part. Uh, we oh, go to Matt Hughes, yeah. and predictably he says, quote, nine out of ten times I think Mike can win this fight against this guy. The Rashad versus Matt Hughes rivalry continues. Matt thinks I'm going to be an easier win for Mike. Come and show me. Come, come, come and show me. All right, all right. I, I, I want you to put it on me. That's what I want, says Rashad. All right, you can't count this me. man show me. out. Yep. I don't know. I'm counting on the fact that they count me out because that's when you always get to dealt the hardest blow, the one you don't see coming. Here it is. 222 pounds for Rashad, 251 for Mike Whitehead. Is your strategy the same coming in from the Tom Murphy fight? Uh, you know, start on your start with the hands, but uh, try to get this into close quarters. Um, no, I wanted to stick and move. I wanted to stay on the outside. I don't really want to tie up with Whitehead because I I I, I grappled with him during that whole uh, 30 minutes the, the, um, for evaluation. So I knew how tired I'd get if I wrestled with him because he, he was a good wrestler too. So I figured I was going to stay on the outside and just beat him with my quickness. That was my that was my goal. This fight uh, starts off very slow pace, not overly exciting. Do you think in hindsight, while they often blamed you for everything on this show, that um, that people were aware they didn't know you would have the kind of quick trigger counter right that sent Chuck Liddell to the deep, dark depths? But did people have a feeling that maybe some of this blame was on them because they were a little bit cautious that you could shoot in or explode on them as being the the, the, the better athlete of the two? Yeah, I think that once the fighters got in there with me, they uh they felt me out and they kind of felt as if like it wasn't as easy as they thought you know and it kind of felt as if like I, I presented more of a, a a puzzle for them to solve you know the quickness that I had was a little bit uh, more than they anticipated and my scrambling ability was more than they anticipated and everything that they thought it was just a little bit more than they anticipated so it kind of made them be a little bit more calculated in their approach to kind of you know kind of fight me. You stuff early takedowns from Whitehead in round one. 
Dana's kind of right about this wrestling call out. You get a slam on Whitehead. You got rib shots, to, uh, little nice shots to the body. Mike lands a takedown on you. You spin it around and get some ground and pound, some elbows to the body. Final minute of this first round, you're landing big shots. Uh, Team Evans here, we're fired up, right? Oh yeah, we super fired up, man. And and that was, and that was what we wanted. Like at the end of that round, I look over and I see Whitehead slowly getting up, and I knew at that moment I was like, oh, he's done. He is done. Uh, round two, you continue to frustrate him by stuffing takedowns, landing counter shots. Then you turn the tables with the pressure. Mike kind of takes a minute off there late in round two. You put it on him late again. Two nothing Rashad all the way here entering round three. But Mike lands a big takedown one minute in Rashad, but then he does nothing. Yeah, he, he got that one takedown in there and, and he needed it. You know, he, it was everything he had in that one takedown and he did land it, but he just kind of, he kind of laid there, but at the time, I'm, I'm a little tired too, but I'm feeling like I'm about to get my second win in a minute. You reverse him on the ground. Ground and pound. You're wearing him down. Big shots. You go back to the feet. There's pressure. Some nice little elbows from you in the clinch. I don't think we'd seen that up to this point. you utilizing that that little trickiness there. Yeah, that was what I learned on the show. I learned I learned that from Keith Jardine, those elbows in there. <laughs> you know, I was learning from all the guys on the show, so it was all fresh in my brain, so uh, I was doing it as I was learning it. Uh, bad move by Keith, by the way, because you would employ those elbows <laughs> on the ground later in this tournament. A uh, nice combo at the 30-second mark at the end of this round here, and we see a big turn here. Mike Whitehead essentially walks away from you. Final 10 seconds, he's losing on the cards. You'd think he's just going to go for broke. Rashad, he's basically trying to find the door of the octagon. Matt, Hughes, not friggin' happy. Uh, did you pick up on this in there? Are you like, oh, good God, I, 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 I took a soul. I may have taken a soul. Yeah, I picked up on it right away, and I picked up on it at the end of the, uh, the first round because I knew – how hard that he tried to please Matt Hughes and he was such a, a butt kisser. And I seen as, you know, as he would get frustrated and things weren't working as I stuffed his shots, I seen him getting further and further demoralized. And as he was getting demoralized, you just seen him just kind of like start to give up. You know, he just started like to just give up and get so frustrated. He almost had like a, a, a no mas moment in there, you know, and, and that's what, and that's what I was kind of feeling this whole time. Like, oh, he's going to quit. He's going to quit. I'm starting to wonder here. Even though the next quotes I'm about to read are a downtrodden of Matt Hughes who's just so upset and he puts all the blame on his guy, Mike Wayhead, a guy who he says he's worked with for years, knows him personally, respects him. I'm wondering if Matt Hughes is starting, even though he's not showing it, to go, this guy Rashad's wearing these guys down. He's outworking them. He's, he's showing the technique. He's showing the combo between punching and wrestling. We don't hear that yet, but I'm wondering, but, uh, you hear a brokenhearted Matt who says, quote, to see Mike go out there and melt away to nothing was frustrating. He later says it's hard because he can't go out there and fight for Mike. He can just try to encourage him. Dana closes with this. Mike came out and tried to wrestle a wrestler, and that was his biggest problem. Uh, this, look, first fight, you, you beat a guy who didn't go anywhere in the end. It was a tough situation. You did what you had to do. Rashad, this was the moment, I think, where everyone's like, he's for real. Yeah, this is the moment because at that point, uh, I just beat the favorite. You know, Whitehead was supposed to beat all these other heavyweights and all the other heavyweights knew it. You know, he had a better uh, gas tank. And, you know, just to watch Mike Whitehead um, before that moment, 
you just thought he was going to win. Uh, he had the most the most training. You know, he traded alongside with Tim Sylvia. He was Tim Sylvia's training partner, and that's why he was so cool with Matt Hughes because he was from that camp. And here I am coming from zero camp. I don't have a camp. You know, my my my, my coach and my instructor we're the same age. You know what I'm saying? We learn on YouTube. You know, and and that's <laughs> and and. And and he loses to me, so Matt was just kind of like, "Wow, this is this is unbelievable." Uh, this is interesting because as we transition to episode ten, we're starting to see you positioned by the producers. And, and mind you, this is separate from what's actually going on in the fight. Producers are can make anyone they want into a star. I feel like we're starting to make this the Rashad show. You open with a quote saying, "I was punching the hell out of him," and we see a right hand injury. You're icing it. You're in the trainer's area. Dana goes on camera and says, "Look." We all thought Mike Whitehead was going to go to the finals, and he basically, quote, threw it all away. We find out after x-rays that you walk into the house. The team is waiting to see what happened as you get back from the doctor, and you come in with a giant sling on your arm. Uh, it's fake. It's fake. Oh, man, you fake. Rashad sent a doctor to get x-rays. So we got kind of worried, and then Rashad came in with a sling on. What the hell, fight, man? I can't even fight no more, man. Chad, you deserve the Oscar because that's legitimately good acting. You sold that. It was all over for you. You won the biggest fight, but you were going to have to leave because of injury. You got him, dude. I got him good, man. I got him good. I forgot all about that, man. It was so – it was kind of a weird reaction because, you know, some of them were like, oh, man, that sucks. But some were like, yeah, hey. They're like, oh, man, that sucks. You know, Seth, he's like, oh, man, that sucks, man. But kind of like – kind of happy he didn't have to fight me you know that i was out of the way but uh yeah man i, I got him good with that i got him good now with is that, that your idea we had seen melvin do a pump fake earlier with dana but he didn't have tears he didn't have a sling on his arm is that all your idea yeah it was my idea man they thought i was gonna be gone because i was uh i was kicking up a lot of fuss about my hand after the fight was over with so they thought it was gonna be pretty I'm bad starting to see a psychological uh, uh uh strategy here on how you're taking over this house um let me <laughs> ask you this though i rewound it twice keith jardine is smiling the entire time did he know better was he in on this um I think I might have told him. I think I think I might have told him that it was uh it, it was, I was going to play a joke on everybody. I think I did tell him. I think I may have told him that, that I was going to play a joke. Well, what but is- Keith 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 at the time was like um after uh, Tom went to the sequester house, Keith ended up being that guy for me. You know, him and I would end up being just like best friends, and you know he would show me all the technique that Greg would show him. Like him and him and Dan Christensen were from the same gym, so. They would show me what they would do in practice, and and uh, we'd do these drills over and over and over again. And that would come into be very interesting scenario episode eleven when you have to fight Keith Jardine. So Rashad, tell me why here you had fought twice. He hadn't fought at all. Why was that the case? Um, he didn't fight at all because uh, I forget how that how Did that no one ended up working him out. out in the end. Is that what happened? 
Are you only fighting by callouts here? I mean, this is kind of yeah. Like, that's right. That's right. That's right. You only get you only got the fight by callout. You didn't get the fight just because you didn't fight that round. It was only by callout. That's how that worked. Yeah, they were, they didn't put us all in a bracket, but it was just by whoever got called out. Well, you have to fight Jardine. It's obvious. So go... It's obvious that there's respect yeah, yeah. for both of you. Um, you're worried about your hand holding up because you just pulled that fast one the the previous episode. But we got an issue here, Rashad. Due to the show's rules, and you can please explain to me why this is the case, you now on Team Hughes. What happened here? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so we ended up beating all of their heavyweights, so there was nobody left on their side for me to fight. So since we defeated all the heavyweights, then I had to go on the Team Hughes' side and fight for Team Hughes. Now that right there was was a turn I just was not ready for because as as we know, the storyline goes, me and Matt hated each other. And uh now I had to have him in my corner for the biggest fight of my career. It was um it was unnerving for me at the time. So this is crazy. This is very similar to like a show like Survivor when I don't know where the show will strategically be like drop your buffs, we're switching teams. Yeah. Like that's a normal yeah. reality show trope. You would think they did this at the exact right time for dramatic purposes of Luke Skywalker having to go team up with Darth Vader. I mean, that's really what we're, what we're at here in this. They play it up very nicely that not only are you uneasy about it, Coach Rich is in your ear saying, look, you know, if you're not comfortable, get one of your teammates to coach you. But then the narrative changes to not will Matt and Rashad get along, but where the hell is Coach Hughes? He hasn't shown up in a while. He may no-show you. Uh, <coughs> was that real? Yeah, it was real. He didn't show up at all. Like I, I had to um, actually work with Rich Franklin, who was actually coaching Keith Jardine. And, you know, he was like, uh, I'm not going to work technique with you because I'm coaching Keith, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold mitts for you. And I'm going to just, you know, do that for you. But... Uh, you know, and then it was just me and Seth Petrozelli. So he would work with me and Seth was working with me. And Seth would give me actually coaching advice what I should do against Keith. And, uh, that was, that was basically it. But I didn't even know if Matt was going to show up. Matt didn't even, sh Matt wasn't nowhere to be found. Wow. He didn't call Rich and said he was going to show up. He didn't call Dana, said anything. He just no showed me. I wonder if that's him sending a message and being a tough ass. I wonder if that's the producers kind of whispering him saying, hey, we can really play this up if you if we can. Because, look, this is the quotes we get on the show. I don't know what's going on. I don't know how he plans to be in my corner and coach me if we don't have a strategy or an idea of what we want to do in the fight. Something's telling me that I should just, you know, move on and be professional. But another part of me just says, uh, I don't need him. Um, he didn't believe in me. So why should I give him the chance to coach a winner? Oh, you already oh. know it. Already knowing you're going to win this thing. Look at this guy. He's confident. He's ready. <laughs> F him, Rashad. Hey, I was thinking, you know, I came this far. Already, I'm a win. I'm gonna win. They they can't take it from me, man. All right, but well, the belief was just growing each and every fight, though. And whether or not uh, the whole Matt thing was was him trying to be a dick or not, or whether it was real, um, we have a weird in between scene before your fight where you're at the kitchen table with Seth Petrozelli. He bets you or he offers you a a dare of a hundred dollars to eat a dead fly. You do it. 
he starts throwing up into his porridge or whatever was in front of him, his oatmeal, and then you start throwing up into your own. Is this look fake, Rashad? Come on, this look fake. <laughs> no, nah, it was not fake, man. It was real. It was real. He, we would listen. That's how bored we would get. We would get so bored, we would do disgusting things like that. And Seth was like, "I bet you won't eat this. I bet you won't eat that." So he, he'll challenge me, and I'll do it. But when he did, when when I can't, I can't take to see people throw up. Like if I see somebody throw up, then I'll throw up. So that's what happened. <laughs> Seth, the wild man says, don't worry, Rashad. It's good for you. The fly is protein, the wings, especially. Uh, yeah, we're all good there, but, uh, we got a showdown coming up and the showdown isn't even Rashad versus Keith Jardine, which is a important fight. It turns out to be badass. It's the showdown of you and coach Hughes, whether you're going to make good, whether he's going to back you or not. The setting is the trainer's room. Jacob Stitch Duran, the legend there has your right hand extra taped and padded. Trying to pump you up, saying, don't worry, it's going to be okay. And the old gunslinger, Matt Hughes, walks in. Before we throw to this convo, what are you thinking? What are you thinking in that moment? Oh, my gosh. I was like, whoa, whoa. Now he's going to come. And, and I'm thinking, okay, they're, they're, I'm, like, I'm not even trying to pay attention to him because now I'm in my zone. And I feel as if like he, he's already missed his opportunity to, to give me any kind of insight at all so um um see he's there but i'm kind of just indifferent to him just kind of like ah whatever whatever you add i'm not even going to pay attention to you because i got seth right here and he's going to give me all the instruction i need so whatever now how many minutes roughly before the actual fight was he was pulling this trick well i mean he he came right in and, and and right out of the gate he got my attention and he got me to listen to him and he said to me He's like, hey, Rashad, you know, uh, you know, we, we've had our thing. Uh, oh, oh I got that sound. Take... I got that sound oh, for you, you right you? now. Oh, okay, I'm just okay, trying to okay, see okay. Yeah. timeline wise. How long before that was that? Like, was that 20 minutes before the fight? Was it a, an hour? Where are we at here? It was probably like, uh, probably like an hour before the fight happens. It's like when we get there, we get, no, I don't, it was, it was right when we get there. When he got there, then we, then we kind of, uh, like once I started warming up a little bit, then that's when he started to talk to me and uh, trying to get in my head a bit. Gotta do a little work. I need to let him know that I'm there for him to win, and that's the bottom line. Rashad, you gotta put in your mind right now that after he tapes that hand, that hand's 100. percent Get it out of your mind that that it hurts. At one point when Matt was giving me advice, I, I felt kind of uh, weird about it. Rashad, what's the game plan, buddy? Get him against the fence and uh, make him work to get up. But then, you know, I started listening to what he was saying. Now, when you go out, make sure and turn halfway so you're facing me. That way, when you shoot and take him down, you'll be right in front of me. So I can talk to you, and he can't hear his point. At this point, I need to set aside my conflicts that I had with Matt and just focus at the fight and the task at hand. I just hope that he's able to be behind me like he is his fighter. Now, we didn't get the full convo. Was there an apology, or was it just sort of like, we're men, let's do this? Yeah, it was no apology, no apology. It was like, we're men, let's not even bring that up. We're just going to get this work in, and, you know, that's that's how we do it, you know. And um, he told me, he told me, he said, the first thing I do when I go out there, hit him as hard as I can with the hand that hurt, and then I'm going to forget all about the pain. Oh, wow, okay, because he, he later said – uh Look, he later they show him giving you advice, and he says, "Look, uh, Keith expects a takedown, so I advise you to punch him right in the face." That's that's exactly what you're saying. I didn't know it was with the right hand to just try to yeah. get it out of your own mind. Uh, did you? It's interesting because as he's giving you this game plan here, I'm starting to think. I'm like, 
All right, you guys are polar opposites. But fighting style-wise, you're really not that different. Maybe no. Maybe this is one of those deals where, like, you're going to hate them, but it might work. It just might work. Yeah, I actually was – um, I actually really, really liked him cornering me because his instruction was very crystal clear. He was a phenomenal, phenomenal corner. Um, I can hear him clearly. Uh, he conveyed concepts very clearly at the right time. Um Gave me really good advice on the moment's notice and what I need to do to counter super, super very easy, edible knowledge, you know. And uh, I was very happy that after that fight was over, and I and I survived a couple of close scares, that Matt Hughes was there because I was listening to his voice a couple of times. There's a point where uh, Keith caught me with the right hand and he dropped me, and I got knocked out for a second. Ooh. And I just kept and I and I grabbed his leg. And I'm just like, keep on. And I kept on listening to Matt Hughes the whole time as I'm grabbing his leg until the fogginess wore off. And then I was able to uh, to, to get back in a position. I was, say, Rashad, I was okay. this was a feel good moment. I had never seen this season. I'd seen your your fight to win the ultimate fighter, but never seen this season. And the whole time this is going on to begin with, I'm like, man, this guy Hughes is an a-hole. Everything they say about him is true. This is almost some quasi like race baiting. He's like going after the black guy with the hard ass yeah. white guy. And then you guys just make it work. And it's like a beautiful thing. But before we get to this fight, Jardine has one more comment in the camera. Rashad, you're one of my favorite people in the house. You've been through a lot of wars and I hope you're ready for another one. So we know that there's respect there, Rashad, but he wasn't wrong. What a sleepy, good-ass action fight this turned out to be. I'd never seen it. You come in at 219, Keith at 220 and a half. You're basically even. You both go on to great careers as light heavyweights. Um, the the What's at stake is obviously an advancement to the finals. You'll be on the tough card. You'll have a chance to get the contract. Uh, was this – the stakes are higher than the first two, but did you expect the war that you ended up getting? Yeah, I expected a war. Um, you know, it, it was one of it was one of the battles that I kind of was the most uh, nervous about, just because Keith and I worked together so much, and he knew my styles inside and out. Like him and I was far, and he just knew what I was going to do. So I didn't think that the fight would be much different. But uh, once the fight started, he started landing on some of those bombs, and he just started going. It was uh, it was it was a fight, man. Now it was they- a fight, and. Yeah. We were friends, but after we started getting blasting each other, the friendship kind of went to the wayside, <laughs> and it was just like a good spirited, like, oh yeah, like trying to one up each other, you know. And I pulled out a lot of things that he showed me, and it was kind of like, it was kind of like uh, us training, but at a higher, at a higher uh, intensity level. That's yeah. exactly what it felt it's like, like. A sparring match in which you just went for it at some point, both of you. So this isn't Griffin Bonner one. But it's also not as sloppy. It's 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 action. There's technique. There's strategy. There's ebbs and flows. There's blood. It's a great ass fight. It starts off where you knock him down with a stiff jab. That's gotta that's gotta build the uh, confidence early. Yeah, it did right out the gate, and especially with the hands and stand up, you know, because Keith had a better stand up with than me at the time, you know, and and uh, to go out there and be the one to knock him down with my jab. It kind of put him in a position where he didn't feel like he could just walk all over me with his stand-up. It made him having to respect the power that I had because that was a jab that put him down. Well, Keith Jardine comes right back up and gets your attention with the right hand that ends up swelling and damaging your left eye. It looked like you were hurt. I may have seen a little dance. 
Uh, talk about a get back. Uh, what was that moment like? Oh my gosh, that that right hand just completely uh, it crushed me. I, I thought that the fight had um, like I thought I got knocked out because I did get knocked out like a flash knockout, and I and I just remember waking up on his legs, holding his legs, and um, slowly because when you get knocked out in days, it takes a minute for your body, neurologically speaking, to be able to grab and hold on to a leg, you know. So at first it was kind of groggy, and then as a, the 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 feelings came back, I was able to actually you know put some strength on an attack but uh i thought the referee was going to stop it for a minute just because i was that dizzy yeah you did a dance you 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 get it back together matt he was screaming from the sidelines you're too fast for him rashad you may have been but here's the problem your left eye is making you blink you're showing damage and every time you throw out that jab jardine's countering you one time two time three times four times um, suddenly Matt Hughes is screaming for a takedown. Rashad, did you start to feel like you almost can't even commit to that jab? Because even though you have a speed advantage, his timing was on point right there. Yeah, I felt as if every single time I uh, would even try to throw a punch, I would just see stars. I wouldn't even see the punch. I would just see the stars. It was just straight. It was just straight blackout, like boom, bloop, bloop. And I was like, I can't take too many more of these. And then Matt Hughes is telling me to go for the takedown. So I was like, I, I need to because I couldn't take too many more shots. And now the round gets batshit crazy. Here we go. You get the clinch. Hughes is screaming takedown. You go for it. And this savvy, tricky guy puts you in a guillotine and you spit out the mouthpiece. And suddenly you're on the bottom of full mount. Rashad, in my eyes, the fight's over. I knew that you won the tournament, yet when I'm rewatching that, I'm like, oh my God, he's gonna lose. This is some this is some crazy stuff. Did you spit that mouthpiece out? Yeah, I, I, I spit it out because I felt like if I didn't spit it out, then I wasn't gonna be able to breathe even a little bit. You know, I felt like, you know, when you when you got a mouthpiece in sometimes, it gets in the mouth because it locks into your, your jaw. So you're not able to to move even to get a little bit of air. So when you spit it out, you're able to at least breathe through your teeth a little bit if you can get your your mouth open. So that's what I was trying to do. But uh, you know, Keith Keith had me in a scary situation, and at the time, my jujitsu wasn't nowhere near what it is. He's or raining, what it was going to be absolutely. He's raining punches for about a second and a half. But to your credit, you get out of that full mount situation instantly. Rest of the round is some grappling, some holding. But he gets in uh, an attempt at an arm bar late. I almost felt like you were going for the slam in the closing seconds. Yeah, I was. I was going to try to slam him and just try to land some kind of damage to score something on a judge's card because I knew that with that submission attempt and that me almost choking and me almost tapping that he was going to win that round. Now, to your credit, you finished strong on top in that round. So I think if you yeah. hadn't done that. You can, you can argue and wonder whether his confidence is through the roof coming in for round two. Your confidence might have been shot. But I feel like that last little rush at the end of round one like made people go, hold on, this guy's not done yet. Yeah, I think so too, man. And I felt as if like, you know, me me coming back at the end of the round one and let him know that, you know, he, he may have had me in a scare, but the fight was far from over. All right. Well, the problem is your right, your left eye is swelling, and Jardine's opening round two. More Connors, more Connors until you drop him with a hard right hand. I'm sorry, he drops you with a hard right hand, and you eat a knee to the face as you come up. Now, to your to your to your credit, you instantly force the clinch that backs him up. But uh, Rashad, we're just taking damage left and right here. How are we holding up at this point? 
at this point, I'm, I'm drunk driving, baby. I'm, I'm just, I'm just taking the shots, and I'm feeling, I'm feeling a little hurt. But I just keep on moving one step at a time, and I'm listening to Matt's voice the whole time, just kind of let me know how I'm doing and what I really need to do. That's why, that's why I'm really starting to key in on his voice because the vision is shot, the the, the spirit is is wavy, but I hear in his voice the passion to keep going, and it, and it gives me a fight to keep moving. So here's the thing: I thought Keith won that first round by hurting you. And by having some moments yeah. on the ground, even though you rallied late. But for you having taken damage early in round two, you did kind of get it back to your terms. I think there was a moment when you two traded in the middle of the round on sort of even terms where Keith suddenly was like, okay, I, I can't just get off with this right counter every time and, and control him. Did you make any tactical changes or is this essentially drunk driving, just let it, letting it go? Just letting it go. You know, I felt as if like he was uh, fading a little bit just because of the the, the the pace of the fight, you know, so so his punches kind of lost a little bit of the timing that it had in the first round when he was catching me consistently and repeatedly, and then the the speed that I had was actually starting to you know be more be more of a factor because he was slowing down a bit. You land enough shots in the end of that round, and you force enough clinches that you know you can go okay, maybe Rashad won that, maybe he's even in this fight, even though he's been on the wrong end of of tw- two knockdowns and a bunch of beatings. Coach Hughes before round three says, "quote." win this last round and win this fight. All it takes is one takedown and you win this fight. He's tired. You haven't shot in once, so he's not expecting it. That is true. You did force takedowns through the clinch, but you didn't go double leg at any point in this fight up to that up to that moment. Yeah, no, I didn't. And, um, you know, that was one of the things that Matt Hughes, you know, told me that it would be there when we got ready for it, you know. And uh, it was the time to go. And at that point, I couldn't think of a better thing to do just because of the fact that my face was taking such a beating. And I was just like, I didn't know if I could even take any more any more damage on my feet. Well, you needed a big round three. You got it. Take down into a slam. And then the elbows start opening him up. We're bleeding. He's recovering. He's trying to stay alive. And then a huge slam that ends up leading to him taking a deeper beating. Are you waiting for this thing to get stopped at this point? Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm trying to look busy. I'm trying to rain down some shots or, you know, cause some concern for the referee. But, you know, I'm just not being consistent enough in the damage because I'm tired too. But uh, I gave it what I can. I just wanted to get the fight done. Doc stops it late, not to end the fight, but to examine the cut. I'm thinking in the moment, man, this really screws with the momentum. Yet you're taking big deep breaths on your side during that break. Yeah, I'm I'm taking my time, man, because uh, you know, at that point, you know, my lungs are burning, my hand is my hand is hurting and I'm just kind of like my eye can't see out of my eye and I'm just like, man, I, I don't I don't know, you know, Keith is like terminator. He just won't stop. So I'm just trying to think if anything to put him away. Uh, you get the decision as we go to the cards. 29-28 on all three. Uh, Jardine had enough moments that he that he had an argument to be in that fight, but man, the way you closed him out in round three, uh, you gave a very honest uh, breakdown of what happened afterwards. I really don't even remember getting hit. All I remember is just blacking out. <laughs> they wouldn't run that sound today, Rashad. All right, but that was very uh, honest. But more importantly, you completely win over everyone with this performance, starting with Dana White. In this fight, Rashad showed that he did want it against the guy who was pushing back and coming at him. Jardine was a fighter, hung in there and tried to win that thing. This fight ended up being Rashad's best fight. I was very impressed, even better than Mike Whitehead, because Keith Jardine came to fight. I mean, Jardine was on a different level, man. You went in the deep end and you swam. Bro, you swam. I was impressed. 
Thank you. Thank you. That was, that was a good one for me, man. Jardine was, uh, he, he was my coach on that show. He was my mentor. And, uh, you know, to beat him and to have a, to fight, have a fight like that in the semifinals, it, it was, it was for me, it was the most important fight on the show. Well, you because were, it, it was, go on. Your quote of the saying here, I definitely misjudged Matt Hughes. I didn't see the method to his madness. He gave me the extra push I needed to win this fight. I'm very honored to have Matt in my corner. It's the full, it's the, we, we're there, the full circle, Rashad. <laughs> yeah, we made a complete 180, man. We, we did it. We did it. We, um, we, we, uh, I mean, we, we, we did it. We, we, we made our way back to, uh, to, to having that, the good relationship and, um, the respect that I had for Matt. You know, uh, it was, it, it was amazing because I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't, I didn't think that going into that fight, I'll walk away feeling the way that I did because I didn't think that he would be able to guide me like he, like he did one of his coaches. But what he showed me is that, um, you know, for him, uh, his professionalism was, was on another level. His his knowledge of skills and understanding what to do was on another level. And I actually think that he might have. I actually won him over. I actually well, felt like I won him over. I felt this, like I won him over. Check out this moment. You're just given the quote I just read. You two were kind of backstage, and for a second I thought you were gonna like be like, and you know what, Matt? F you. Check out how this starts and ends, because this is probably the moment of the show for me. Uh, yeah, I want to say something about what you said in the, in the, in the, in the locker room. Yeah. What did I say? When you said, uh, that I was a bad ambassador for sport. Oh, the, you're talking fights ago. Yeah. Uh, after, after thinking about that fight, I didn't fight as hard as I could. Or, uh, That's past. Uh, well, you know, we got big things to look up in the yeah. future, you know? Yeah. Third round helps out. Yeah, I totally underestimated Rashad throughout this whole experience, and Rashad's a good fighter, no doubt about it. Definitely worthy of going to the finals. Uh, I thought you were going to be like, man, and by the way, when you said I was wrong to be an ambassador for the sport, look at me now, right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm saying, that, how you <laughs> like me now? Look at me now. But you went full on, honored the veteran, and uh, I needed a man hug in that moment. I needed something. Yeah, it was, it was a good moment, man. I felt as if, like, um, you know, winning the fight and, and to uh, come out of it and be in the finals and to do it with somebody that I didn't even didn't like at all was was a complete. Uh, it, it made the whole journey complete for me, you know. And afterwards. You know, to to look in a corner and know that it was that man that I didn't that I didn't like at all, um, that got me the win. It really showed me what the the, the show was about more than anything, because the the show um, is a microcosm for what you really need to do in your career, and and in your career, it's it's you always have to reinvent yourself every single fight, no matter what. And you can't hang on to what happened a couple fights ago. You can't even hang on to what someone said to you a couple fights ago because every single fight brings its own unique challenges. And when you start thinking about that and how it applies to your life and everything like that, it's a very powerful thing. So what I learned from Matt Hughes in that moment was ever so life-changing because it was more than just about that fight. 
It was about life. Wow. Wow. Now, did the opinion of him change in the Evans household? Did, did mom get on board after this episode? Yeah, she did. She did. She liked Matt Hughes, you know. She liked him after a while, and she kind of got to see that, you know, he was giving me a little bit of tough love and whatnot. But, uh, uh, you know, at, at the time, I think that Matt said exactly what he needed to say for me in order for me to have the results that I did. I don't know if, if he if he would have said if he didn't say what he said, if I would have been so fired up to go and do what I did, you know. So how does the show? Know, it, how does it work then? You, you advance to the finals now. We're heading to November 5th, 2005, Hard Rock in Vegas. You, Brad Imes, for the heavyweight tough two tournament championship. The contract, all that. How do, how do you decide who's in your corner for that fight? Um, it's it's an uh, individual thing. You know, everybody goes home and you just kind of train with your team at home. And then you just decide on who you want back, you know. Based off who you train with at home. Did you have any thought to uh, to to Rich or Matt after the experience you had in Tough to be like, hey, I know you guys are fighting nowadays, but uh, want to help me get over this last hurdle, or did you already have your own team waiting for you? Yeah, I did. I did want to train with them, but for me, um, you know, economics was an issue. I just couldn't afford to go out and train anywhere. You know, I was working a job at a security guard at a hospital, so I just didn't have the money to go out there and uh, and leave. So. Um, you know, at the time I was I was living with uh, my my girlfriend who became my wife, and um, you know we would just you know we didn't have a lot of money to do all those things, so you know it was just stay locally in Lansing, Michigan. And I found a team in Lansing, Michigan, uh, Joaquin Rodriguez, out of this gym called um, uh, Crown Gym, a boxing gym, and that's who I started working with. I started working with the boxing guys and doing a lot of boxing stuff early out the train for that fight. Uh, at this point, it does. This ends the Matt Hughes relationship. What What is the postscript on that? Uh, do you guys keep in touch over the years? What happens when you see him nowadays? Have there ever been any other moments through the years? Um, yeah. Whenever Whenever I see him, we always give each other a hug, and uh, you know, uh, we talk and whatnot. And uh, you know, it, it's just um, it, it's always love and respect after the whole situation, you know, and. As you know, as I've gotten older in the sport, and as he he's gotten older, you know he's he's definitely changed the way that he sees me, and it's just nothing but love and respect right now. You know, we kind of look at our younger selves like, man, you know, we are we're we're foreverly, um, you know, impacted on each other, and and he's his impact on me is something I'll never forget because I don't know if I'll even be where I am right now if it wasn't for his, you know, some of the words and just his his tutelage and, and guidance along the way. Well, you are set up here to face the hillbilly, hillbilly heartthrob, Brad Imes, in the finals. But he's fighting out of Bettendorf, Iowa. Did he have a relationship with Hughes? Was there? Uh, was this now Matt Hughes being able to use information against you? Yeah, I think he. Um, after the show's over, he got with Matt Hughes and those guys, and he was the most green on the show. But he had such a great physical body that that allowed him to do so well on the show. So when he got done off the show. You know, they wanted to make sure that he got, you know, technically on a level to even compete. So he went out to the uh, huge gym and trained along my, uh, Mike Whitehead and and uh, those guys over there to get ready for the fight. So Brad Imes was the last pick for Coach Franklin to start the show. He defeated Rob McDonald by first round submission in the in his first fight on the show. He gets passed over due to a cut over his eye in episode nine. Um 
he goes essentially his second fight is the semifinals against Seth Petrozelli and he wins a split decision. So he certainly didn't have to go through the hell you did to get to this point. But he's a tall drink of water, Rashad, and you're an undersized heavyweight. Um, we know now years later that, you know, he didn't have the success that a Keith Jardine had. But sometimes big when you don't have all the skills can matter more. Were you more or less nervous or or doubting yourself entering this fight than you were the Jardine one? Um, I wasn't nervous just because I trained with, with Brad before and I knew that he was kind of green. But I knew that he was very strong and I knew he had his his uh his 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 problems that he can cause for me if he got a hold of me, you know, and I felt as if like he had a lot of power in his punches. But what what kept me worried about him more or less is not what I knew about him, is but what I didn't know about him off of what he was doing from the time away from the show because I knew he was working with Matt Hughes and those guys and I knew that his growth would be rapid because he was like a sponge even on the show. He 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 learned so much that you know he ended up he ended up be getting in the finals like myself just off of what he learned on the show. So his his learning curve was very very high. So I knew about time we got back into the octagon to fight for the uh, contract, he would be better fighter, and that's what made me nervous. Well, he was three and zero professionally heading into this bout. All three wins coming in the WEC. If you're wondering what happened to him, he ends up uh, retiring in 2009 with a 13 and seven record. Had two U had three UFC fights, uh, fought in the IFL, ended up losing to everyone with a name that he fought, the Roy Nelsons, Heath Herrings, Dan Christensen, who's also on this show as well, uh, did beat Bo Cantrell. Some people remember that name from Bo the, uh, from the uh, Kimbo Slice days. But here we go. This is the co-main event to a card that was headlined by a must-see Diego Sanchez-Nick Diaz fight. Uh, Rashad, this fight was not easy. Your goal was to get inside on the big fella. It took you some time to get there. And while you end up winning this fight by split decision, uh, how much did the strategy you have coming in work or not work once you got in there against the big fella? So the strategy I had going into the fight was um, I wanted to stand up with him, but I also thought that I'd be able to use my wrestling with him if he got uh, into if I got into any kind of trouble because I just didn't think that he had the ability to stop it. So once the fight started and I started to uh, feel how much better he got with his striking, uh, I tried to go for a takedown. And then he grabbed me with a clinch. And the strength that he had on the clinch, he just completely just ragdolled me for a second. And immediately at that moment, I knew I made a mistake because I I didn't wrestle much for this camp. And I didn't have uh, my wrestling wasn't sharp, so he was he was stronger than I expected, and I didn't have the the endurance to to uh, to wrestle back with them. So when I got him off of me, I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a tough fight. So I was like, I just got to start swinging, and it, and it was just and it just so happened that right before the um, right before uh, the fight happened. Um, it was one of the boxing coaches for from the Ultimate Fighter show. Uh, he was on the Ultimate Fighter season one. He said, "Hey, whenever um, no, I'm sorry, Joaquin, my, my coach. He said, whenever whenever um, he jabs, throw a left hook. He says, throw a left hook. So whenever he would jab, I would throw a left hook. 
And then he, and then he, and then he, but he wouldn't say it in English. He'll say gacho in, in Spanish. So he'll say it in Spanish. So I would just hear him saying, I would just hear gacho, gacho. And I would just throw the left hook every single time when I heard it. Cause then I knew that's when he was throwing that, uh, that, that straight left hand. And I just kept catching him with it every single time that I heard that. So that was my method. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to just every single time he punched with me, I'm going to punch with him and I'm going to catch him. Once you made that strategic change, it really wasn't about size anymore. It was about your speed and power. Now, to his credit, he's a big fella. He's a, what do you call himself? The horny hillbilly, something like that. The, the hillbilly <laughs> heartbreaker. Uh, he showed a heck of a chin, but he got rocked repeatedly. He got dropped. So while this fight was never going to be easy and you had to figure your way through it, at what point did you sort of realize if I can stay on this path, I got this? Um, after I, after I, um, he was reacting so like when I was catching him, he was he was, you know, he was falling over quite quite dramatically. You know what I'm saying? And whenever I hit him, you know, he, he, because he was so big, it it looked like it had a big effect on him. So I just wanted to keep that pressure on him. But he was he was um he challenged me in areas in which I didn't expect because you know he was so much bigger and stronger than I was. Whenever uh we'll get in a position where we clinch, he'll take me down. I would just get so exhausted. I remember I was so exhausted that. I had I had to pee and I was just like I just I just ended up just peeing on myself man right in the fight it was During the fight it, did that do, do people know this story during the fight no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> During the story during the fight during the fight I just ended up peeing myself as I'm fighting man it was it cuz I couldn't hold it anymore Had that ever happened cuz that's something that happens for marathon runners they'll just let it out as it goes we sometimes you see marathon runners even crap it out as they go had that ever happened no, it's never happened. I was kind of scared that I probably was crapping a little bit because <laughs> it was it was a it was a body shot that knocked it loose, and then afterwards I couldn't tell what was happening because I got caught with a body shot, and then afterwards I felt something warm, and I'm like, I think I was bleeding, and then I was like, oh no, I think I'm peeing, and it was pee, and wow. I just kept on going. No one knew, but it, yeah, <laughs> pretty disgusting, but. No, look, this fight was different than the house fights because the house fights, they're coming in succession. You got to heal from injury. You never know who's going to call you out. There's a different dynamic. Did you have a full training camp for this fight? Was this like the best yeah. this version of Rashad could ever have been? Yeah, it was the best I could have been. You know, I had a long time to go back and, you know, weeks and weeks to go back and train and get ready for it, you know, because as you guys are watching the air throughout, you know, the I'm already know what's happened, so I'm training that whole time, getting ready for it. And I'm working with my team, working with the wrestling team, and doing all the things that I can to get ready for this fight. But um, it's really hard to – like I never prepared for a fight like this. I never had a training camp before. Even even when I was fighting before the show, I never had a training camp. What I would do is I would train like, you know, train like I'll work out and then just go and fight on a weekend. It was never like I'm going to do a training camp with – with months and time to prepare, it was just like I'm gonna get ready to fight and I'm gonna fight. So to have all this extra time to get ready for one fight, it felt kind of weird to me because at that point, up until the Ultimate Fighter show, every fight that I fought in was a tournament. I would go in and fight, and I'll fight two or three guys at one night, you know. So it was it was weird to only get take all this time to get ready for just one guy. I think it's weird looking back, knowing the divisional structures now, your success at light heavyweight, you ended up moving down to middleweight later. It's weird to see you in there against a heavyweight this big, but we go to the scorecards. Having rewatched this fight now, uh, you know, if you're just going to score from watching it, it's like, okay, Rashad Evans won that fight, but we go to the cards 
and there's one for you, there's one for him, and I see that look on your face. Did you think it was as close as it was when they go to the Bruce Buffer moment? I didn't think it was that close. I was actually kind of surprised how close it was um, because I, I felt as if like, I felt like I was tired, but I felt like whatever it was, he looked more than me. You know what I'm saying? And I, I truly felt like that. But when they said that the, uh, they, they gave him a card, I was like, oh my gosh, here we go. Here we go. 29-28 you know, is then, the third one. Rashad gets a split decision when we open the show with Bruce Buffer's call. I saw pure joy on your face and this ain't like i won the championship joy this isn't i won a big fight against rampage joy this is like my life just changed like i just figured out how great i can be before this i was still putting the bodies away and in doing security and now i'm going to be a ufc fighter and, and i'm sure in that moment you're like i made it yeah I, I really was it was it was the biggest moment of my life and it was just like Everything in my life that, uh, all the, the non-achievements, you know, the, the, the non-championship title fights, the non, you know, championship football games, the, all the things that I just didn't succeed in, in my life, it, it, uh, it came to a point where, you know, where it was all about this moment. It was all, it was all preparing me for how to deal with this moment, you know, how to deal with, with the disappointments and all those things, how to deal with, what was going to happen for me in this UFC career. And it just felt as if like for the first time in my life, I was exactly where I needed to be. Love it. Love it. You had, uh, there was a, there was a young woman. I, I assume it was the, the lady who became your wife cheering you in the crowd. Uh, was, yeah. who else was with you there? There was a loud contingent and also give Imes credit. He had some tall, he had some six, eight mother effers out there, uh, in this crowd, in this tiny arena cheering for him. Yeah. I had, um, you know, my, uh, one of, one of my kids, one of the guys I grew up with in, um, back home, his name was Larry. Uh, my brothers, uh, you know, my sisters, uh, you know, I have a big family. I have a family of, um, of nine all together. Wow. So, yeah, so they, they, they all have come out and supported and I got a huge support system. So they all came out and they're all excited about it. But the unfortunate part about this, and it's the reason why I never brought my mom to, uh, to a fight is because after that whole fight was over, the up and down nature of it, you know, Brad Himes' mom, she ended up dying. Oh. She she had a heart attack. Yeah, unfortunately, she had a heart attack uh, later on that night or the next day wow. in a hotel room. Wow. Yeah, it was it, it, it was yeah, he it had was, a, he it was had a loud, aggressive fan base there of people that were that were backing him, and uh, that's tough to see. Wow. And yeah, it, it was it was very it was very tough, and I think that's something that kind of uh, it kind of killed um, Brad's ambition to want to be a fighter. You know how you said he had thirteen and seven afterwards, after his mom passed, and and at that fight, he just really never was the same, and never really wanted to fight anymore. Wow, interesting that. inside info here. I'm loving this. Um, did you guys keep <laughs> in touch? What did you ever see him again? What 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 went on there? Um, I never seen him again. I talked to him uh, again. Uh, you know, he, he ended up doing, you know, ended up doing something with, uh, construction, I believe. And he, he's, uh, pretty successful now and, you know, uh, still doing his thing, I guess. But, um, I never really got a chance to talk to him after, you know, I'd be, you know, um, like within the last five years or nothing like that, you know, with, so 
it'll be interesting to catch up with him to see, you know, what he thinks about everything that that happened in my career after. We gotta get him on the show. And I part of ways. They're not gonna give us fights to, to yeah, talk we about. Eight. We may have to get Brad Imes on the show. Do. All right, Dana gives you Brad the trophy, the and then he says, "Congratulations, you're gonna be walking away in a new Scion." Uh, what's the what's the uh, history of this car you won? Oh man, a Scion. <laughs> man, I kept that thing till the wheels fall off. Of course, Griffin <laughs> kept it longer than mine did, but. That was in the family for a long time. Uh, it was a great vehicle, man. It, it was, it was, it was awesome that they gave up vehicles back then. Uh, it was the first, it was, it was actually the first car I had that I, you know, that, that was, that I actually had, you know, the first, the first real car that I had. I like that you so drove it, it to was, the uh, end because it's, it's a gift. I mean, it's like a trophy. It's like, uh, every time you get in there, it's like, yeah. I did it. I did this thing. Uh, Joe Rogan thing. brings you over and here's the post fight interview. <laughs> Rashad, congratulations. You had a lot of doubters. You proved them all wrong. How do you feel now that you've won the heavyweight division of the Ultimate Fighter television show? Uh, I feel great, man. It's been a long road. Um, fight through injuries, you know, back injury. Got to thank chiropractic for that. And, uh, I mean, I'm just, I'm just so thankful to be here and so privileged to uh, be in the situation I am right now. It was a phenomenal performance with some great action. Let's take a look at some of the replays. Look at this. Talk us through it. Uh, I come in there, catch right, Brad with a left hook. Uh, he's been throwing that left jab lazy. And I just come in and catch him with it. And just uh, more than one punch, trying to catch him when I'm on the way down. Were you wondering what was keeping him going? I mean, you hit him with so many big punches. Um, I watched Brad fight uh, Seth, and I knew he had a lot of heart. And I know he can just keep going and going and going. So I expected him to get up. Now, Rashad, you're... you're uh... You're a, a fantastic athlete, but you're fairly small for the heavyweight division. Are you going to stay in this division? Or you, do, have you thought about going to 205? Um, there's a new breed of heavyweights, and they're all built like Brad. And I don't know if I can compete uh, in too many, more, too many more fights like this, so I might drop down. Well, Rashad, congratulations. Fantastic performance and incredible display of heart. Rashad Evans, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Rashad, not to get corny, but knowing you, <laughs> working with you, this was a, a, a boys to men moment. This was like, you just grew up in front of us. You're right. They doubted you at every single turn and you proved them all they wrong. Really, no, they really did. They really did. And like you said, it was a boys to men, uh, moment. Even just like, like just going through this little journey with you through this podcast, you know, I'm kind of instantly filled with just those memories and just the, the fullness of it all. And sometimes it, it, it it takes just, you know, looking back on some of those things that you've done before to kind of be like, man, I, I really done that, you know, and it's, it's kind of, it's kind of remarkable to be honest when I, when I sit here and just reminisce about it all because it was, uh, it, it was a great story. It was a great journey along the way. Well, we appreciate you taking the time to go into this much detail. Shout out again to our super producer, Mikey Mormile, for having our back, doing the digging, going through it piece by piece. We got the good sound drops here to relive this. Hopefully we can, uh, as long as it takes us, Rashad, as long as we need to, although Dana say and Tony Habib will happen. So as long as we need to, maybe we can start uh, a little more on this road if the listeners like it. Maybe we can find out the, the early run of UFC for Rashad, the build toward the first title shot, the mindset entering the Horace Griffin fight. Maybe we can keep picking the brain of the sugar to, to, to relive what has been. Look, it's a Hall of Fame run, man. You did it. All right. All right. That, that... Hey, uh, definitely, definitely. I'm, I'm with, I'm with all of that. I think that, uh, 
it can be interesting. You know, I think that we can we can dive into some interesting conversations right now and even the fans get the fans involved and see what they want to talk about and see if they want to pick my brain, ask questions, um, you know, ask what it's like to be out there, because it's not it's not what everybody thinks. You know what I'm saying? It's not uh, it's not as scary, but at the same time, it can be even that and more. But uh, it's interesting, the mindset of a fighter and um you know, fans got questions, ask me questions. You know, this this time right now uh, of quarantine, you know, uh, we got to find something to entertain yes. ourselves and, and find a reason to smile. So uh, ask like, away. I'd love to do a Q&A episode. Let's hit up the hashtag Ask Rashad on Twitter, uh, at State of Combat. Put it in the description in the uh, review when you rate this podcast. We'll read your question on the air for sure. Rashad, thank you for the time. Congratulations once again. 15 years later, man, that means you got some old balls now. I mean, you, it's just a long time ago. We That's flip, flip phone era, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I didn't even have a phone back then. That's how long ago it was. Wow, wow. I didn't even have a phone. Shout out to all the tough two alumni from Eli Joslin through Brad Imes, Keith Jardine, some memorable Joe Daddy part of that, memorable names Joe there. Daddy. We enjoyed it. Uh, thank you for joining us on the State of Combat. Hope everybody's doing great during these un- during these crazy times, but we'll make it for Rashad Evans, for Mike Moore, Mile, it's your boy, BC. We out.